Welcome to the Female Influencer, Career Advancement Strategies for Women. I'm Lacey Shane. Today, I'm super excited to have my friend Stephanie Robel on with us. And before we get into talking to her, I want to tell you a little bit about her. Stephanie grew up in Berlin, Germany, and completed her PhD in neuroscience in Munich before permanently relocating to the U.S. to pursue her passion of brain health. Her research encompasses the study of cellular and molecular mechanisms that cause slowly progressing but often permanent changes to brain function after mild traumatic brain injury or concussion. She became a personal development and leadership nerd. That's what she calls it, her word, not mine, during her postdoctoral training and uh, did this to help her competitiveness with faculty appointments. She started her independent research in 2016, built a thriving team, and currently has 10 full-time members and has brought in $6 million in funding during her first two years on the tenure track. Her entire world expanded when she discovered that she could apply her research skills not only to the human brain, but the potential of the human mind. With newfound strategies and tools, she was happier and performed better and more effectively, and her life became balanced and academic success grew. She shared these tools with her team and colleagues and went even deeper into potential as she trained as a life coach in 2014 and 2018 to help other academics achieve similar results. She's founded Team Leadership and Research, and she works with high-achieving female researchers who are not only leaders in their field, but in their organizations. And her big passion is to change the academic culture from negativity, chronic stress, and overwhelm to one where people express their unique brilliance and have fun and live happy and joyful lives, bringing leadership training and positivity to the community. So thank you very much for joining me today, Stephanie. Thank you for the invitation. It's great being here. So Stephanie and I have had a lot of talks about leadership and influence. And so she's done such an amazing job bringing a leadership perspective to a field that doesn't actually focus on that so much as is the way you're doing it. And one of the things that we've talked about a lot is the role that influence plays in leadership and in women's advancement. I was wondering if you could share how your views of influence and its impact on leadership have shifted over time. Yes. So I used to feel icky when I got too strategic approaching someone, you know, to kind of influence them to do something that I needed. So I feel like I only really gave it thought when I wanted something or needed something. And then I set my influencing up in a way that felt somehow transactional. But after working with you, I actually developed a completely different viewpoint now. And of course, know that influencing is more of a long-term strategy, not something that you do when you need something. <laughs> so I do share this a lot with the women that I work with. Um, and I really feel it's necessary that this knowledge should be, you know, this knowledge should just be more widespread. Um, I feel like there are a lot of adversary relationships between females and males in the professional context, just because we don't really have clarity on what the norms are of interacting with each other. So learning about influence and how, you know, males do it. <laughs> 
among each other, for example, certainly has helped me understand better what is normal behavior and how to mimic that in a way that is authentic and doesn't feel weird. That said, um, like for me, it still takes some strategizing and thinking about, um, but the more I do it, the less it feels like I have to labor to do it. Um, but I feel like it doesn't only go in regard to workplaces with male-dominated leadership. Um, I feel like it's important um, to be thoughtful about interactions in any context or relationship, be that professional or private. You talked about that feeling of ickiness um, when you first started thinking about the concept of influencing. Where do you think that comes from? Well, I think that we're culturally cautioned in a way to use um, our femininity to manipulate, right? Um, I mean, like, or generally that manipulating someone else is bad, which like, don't get me wrong, it is. But we are not taught that there is a difference between manipulation, like influencing someone to do something against their will uh, and influencing, which to me is more getting somebody to hop on your agenda to advance their own. Absolutely. I think the thing that you just said there, that's so integral and that, you know, I know you and I have talked a lot about, but I talk a lot about with my clients is that true influence is not a, a zero sum game for one of the parties. It brings benefit to both if you do it well. And that's, you know, that's part of what I see you've worked so much on is how do I understand others needs so I can align what I'm trying to accomplish with it. So we know that we need to influence in order to compete with and ascend with our, um, compete with our male counterparts and ascend in a world that primarily males dominate right now. How do you think a woman can use her influential power while maintaining her own ethics in doing so? I think that's a surprisingly <laughs> difficult question. Um, but I think you already brought up the key to this, and that is ethics. I mean, to me, that means I'm exerting influence within the boundaries of shared professional values or ethics with the goal of achieving professional outcomes. So I think it's important to be honest and trustworthy, transparent and accountable while influencing. And that's probably obvious and potentially a hot button topic, but I think it's also important to leave sexuality or playing with sexual attraction out of our influencing and professional contexts. So that doesn't mean that we can't use our feminine strengths that you um, beautifully outline in your book. Um, but yeah, that's probably the line I would draw. Like do not influence someone against their values of free will or by using sexual attraction. Those are excellent distinctions. I love the way that you really clarified those. That's, that's um, when we talk about the attraction factor, what I thank you for mentioning my book. One of the things that I tried to say in there is it ever, if it ever feels like it's crossing that line, then it's probably time to stop. Uh, because I think that when you're influencing, you're developing uh, a very, it's almost a platonic relationship with someone you're, you're in partnership with someone, whether it's male or female, and there's always the potential for that to be misunderstood. So 
what I like to say to women is dip your toe in the water and note their response before you take it even further to see, you know, how it is someone's going to perceive your attempts to build a relationship with them. So, I mean, really, really great point. As a leader, I think uh, influence is part of our responsibility because we all have goals we're trying to achieve. And you have some amazing goals with your, your research that you're doing. And you have to rally people around the mission that you have and inspire people with strategies that align with their values. So how do you coach others? You, you have your business now where you're bringing leadership to the field of research. How do you coach others to do this? How do you, uh, how do you help your, your clients point out, you know, see the career opportunities and then have her train her people in influencing? Yes. So this makes me think of a client who felt like she shouldn't point out all career opportunities to her team member for fear of influencing this team member because she's biased and has an agenda, AKA she wants to retain this team member. So to be more specific, that person was looking for other career opportunities, missing some obvious ones right in front of her. Um, and my client felt that this person was a great fit for her team, but because you know I'm working with academics, so relationships are sometimes a little bit more complex. It's not just employee, employer, but it's also mentee, mentor, student, principal investigator. So in a sense, the power differentials can feel more extreme, especially to those who are less advanced in their academic careers. So of course, my client as a good mentor wanted to ensure that the team member doesn't feel coerced into a decision. However, as you point out, right, as, a, as leaders, we have a responsibility to our teams and to our mission and, and with that comes to retain excellent team members. So if someone is an A player looking to go somewhere else, there's nothing wrong with expressing that they are valued and um, there's nothing wrong with exploring all options that would enable a continued work relationship. A key difference to me is whether like I as a mentor or my client as the employer, mentor, principal investigator, maintains detached to the decision that the team member makes. So when I coach clients, we often work on finding this line between influencing others to rethink or reconsider or change a behavior, but to maintain reasonably detached from the decisions that are being made or the behaviors that are being you know, executed in a sense. So more generally, when I coach clients, on how to influence others, we usually start with their own vision and values because I strongly feel that you need to be able to express with clarity who you are, what you stand for and what you are after in order to influence others. So once we have that down, I help clients learn how to build strong professional relationships with their team members and to then coach them to gain clarity on their goals and then also the roadblocks and obstacles that prevent them from performing at a higher level or from feeling fulfilled in their careers. Got it. Got it. Great, great distinctions made there. You know, I think when you're talking about your example is really great because one of the things I like to do is just be transparent 
about uh, my intentions because I mean, we don't have a crystal ball, right? So what if she had not uh, given her the information that she wanted to give her about staying with your organization? And what if that would have been absolutely the best decision for her? I think since you brought it up, what, what I'll just share is that what I like to do is be transparent. I'm working with a nonprofit right now where we hire a lot of young people. And, um, you know, it's been a mixed bag on, on hiring people right out of, um, during college, right out of high school, uh, these jobs that they have align perfectly with that age demographic. And some of them see it as more of an entry-level job and we, the organization has a lot of opportunity to advance. So I show them an org chart of this small organization that's fast growing versus an org chart of say FedEx or Disney or something where their access to upper leadership is so much more pronounced earlier in their career with a smaller organization. And I'm specifically doing this because I want them to stay and work towards advancement with us. But then at the same time, I'm like, look, I'm being transparent. I'm not saying that this is always the best place for you. What I am saying is that if it's your goal to advance, then this is a place that you want to be. So I think that, you know, you know, and I'll say to them, you know, I don't want to influence your decision from the perspective of, you know, I'm a consultant here and you feel pressured. I want you to fully understand all your options. And of course, I hope they make the decision to go with company. <laughs> but I think that transparency is really huge. Have you found that playing into these types of interactions? Yes. I mean, I just had have an example myself that I was going to share later um, about these kind of decisions of people to stay or move on. And, you know, um, of course, you know, we love to retain our A players, but sometimes it's really not in their best interest if they decide on a different career direction. And I think it's always important to keep an eye on like the alignment too. It's like somebody really aligned still you know somebody can be aligned when they originally join and um, be a great contributor but then they might want to develop in a different direction and that actually takes away from the alignment and so i think it's great to really have this transparent open conversation about um goals like from from your end as the influencer so to say and also um on their end of what their goals are Sure, sure. Great point. Great point. I think, you know, whether we realize it or not, we are always influencing people. And I think that is it a matter of we're influencing accidentally or we are influencing with purpose and strategy? And we kind of covered that earlier. So I think a great mentor positively influences their mentee. What do you think is the disconnect when we talk about mentoring versus influencing? Because it seems like they're closely aligned to me. Yes, I'd actually love to hear your take on this too. Um, I'm not sure there has to be a disconnect when the mentoring is done well. Um, I think a mentor in contrast to an influencer in general, to me also has the additional characteristic of having walked the walk. So a mentor is at least a bit ahead in their journey toward a goal that the mentee has. And then things can become a little bit more challenging when the mentors and the mentee's career success appear intertwined. 
such that one or both parties feel like their actions and results are prerequisite for the other's success. So then I think um, influence may feel manipulative if it seems to only or mainly serve the mentor's goals. Um, I don't think, though, that these relationships are impossible. In fact, this is part of the academic model, right? So there the mentor and mentee are always kind of career intertwined. And just recently I came across a book that really advocates that we embrace interdependency rather than, you know, um, shying away from it. Mm -hmm. I, I do think, though, that it is important to have a strong, trusting and honest relationship in which both parties have clarity about the goals of the other, like we talked about just a second ago. And it's important that the goals align for a period of time. So it's important for the mentor to be clear on their reasons for influencing and to ensure also that they leave the responsibility for career decisions with the mentee ultimately. Right, great distinctions. That's a, a relationship that I'm not as familiar with when it comes to academia, but it, it's interesting the way you're talking about that dynamic. And it made me think of what you were saying um, a little bit ago about aligning of values. And, you know, I used to say, cause I, I worked in politics in my last nonprofit CEO job and I used to have to check in with my values every day, because when you start getting into this business of influencing, especially as a woman, I think you realize how powerful you can be. And so I think a piece of that is checking in every day and asking yourself, why am I doing this and making sure it's still a valid reason that it still aligns with a legitimate goal and that um, you're not getting off track. Yes, that makes sense. So you work with research professionals. How do you think influence plays a role in successful research? I, I think that it would be really interesting to know what your thoughts are on that. And what is the result if there is no influence within the research field? Yes, I think it is so crucially important. Um, for example, when we collaborate with um, other research teams, And also um, it's important within our organization as structures. Like in a sense, if we want to get really general, everyone we work with, right? Be this a team member, a peer, a student, an administrator, they are all human. So building relationships and influencing in that context um, to advance our shared agendas is key. But if we want to get more specific about the research industry in a sense. Um, I mean, I think we're learning that we can really only push big questions if we work together. It takes so much resources nowadays, you know, and, and um, equipment becomes more and more expensive as it becomes more fancy that we really have to work together and leverage different areas of expertise that can just not be covered by a single research team. And so in this kind of context, I have observed that a dynamic that often happens is that there is nice influencing happening at the beginning when you get other people on board and excited, probably because we researchers tend to be excited about new projects and new endeavors. Um, but then often this kind of breaks down as projects go on and 
you know, you now really have to like grind out the work and it's not really set up very well from the beginning, who's going to do what, who's going to be responsible for what. And so I think influencing is actually really key in order to maintain collaborations over long periods of time so that the outcome can actually achieve. Sure. And one of the things that I often talk about is the fact that influencing takes time. I mean, you have to think about how, what direction you want to go, how the people you're trying to influence, what they care about and how to align with it. And it takes time to think through all that. So I could certainly see how as the stress level and the demands of the research project get more intense, that maybe less time is spent on that influencing piece. I I could see that. Do you have any success stories that you want to talk about in terms of influence that uh, either yourself or one of your coaches or staff have have implemented? Yeah, so a simple one that's um, coming to mind is going back to the recruiting we started talking about earlier is um, I have a move coming up actually that my research program is making. So I was recruited to join another university to continue my research there and also step into a bigger leadership role. And so my first priority, of course, was to recruit the top players in my current team to join and help them uh, have them help me rebuild the lab over there. And since we're moving to Birmingham, Alabama, that wasn't the most obvious sale, right? So I know that Birmingham is a great place to live at because I lived there before, but most people don't jump with excitement when they hear Alabama. Nothing against Alabama here. So I approached recruiting or retention very strategically in terms of like collecting all the information that I needed to influence Mellor, right? To make that sale in a sense. So I thought about when I share the news, like in what order I need to share the news with who, um, what to offer everyone um, based on what I know their desires and fears are. Um, so yeah, I made sure I had all the pieces of information so that I could, you know, um, like manage their fears in a sense. I thought about how to organize a visit so that people have a great experience and all that. And I'm happy to report that most of them decided to join. Well, congratulations. So you've, you're really putting this stuff to work. That is really great news. I'm super happy for you, Stephanie. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. So one of my last two questions is, when did you start really realizing that influence was integral to your own success? Because I know a lot of us realize it, especially women, a little later in our careers. Yes. So I think I realized that only after we started working together. So was it maybe three years ago or something? Mm -hmm. So I honestly hadn't really thought about influence as a puzzle piece to leadership before that. And what's it like now that you have that as a tool in your toolbox? What has it opened up for you? It shifted a lot just in how authentic I showed up in in my roles, in my different roles, I feel like. Um, Because as I mentioned um, in the beginning, you know, influencing others used to feel a little bit transactional to me because I didn't approach it with this long-term kind of 
approach in mind. And so now it's, it's almost just part of how I go about doing my day, right? It's normal to me. It doesn't feel icky or manipulative anymore. It's just something that is part of the job that I have to do as a leader or that I like to do actually, because it feels good to have other people hop on your agenda and help them get, help them get excited. Absolutely. Move a goal forward. Yeah, that, that makes my heart sing. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> that's wonderful. I, and because that's what I, I try to tell women is that, look, this is natural to you. We just don't think of it that way. And what you're saying is it's, it's become part of you. So congratulations. That's super, super wonderful. What's your number one piece of advice for women in academic research and even women overall when it comes to influence and leadership? Well, my number one piece of advice is to learn about influence, like, for example, by reading your book. Um, and then the next piece to it is to get comfortable with it and implement, you know, the strategies. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy research schedule. And I know you're getting ready to move too. So really, Stephanie, thank you so much for spending time with me today. Thank you for having me. It was great to chat and, you know, share ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you all for listening to The Female Influencer. I'm Lacey Shane. Wherever you're listening in the world, remember, you are the power. 